Welcome to Becoming Your Best with Jenny Lytle RN, where we focus on all things stress relief and self-care. It's time to ditch the one-size-fits-all approaches and stop comparing ourselves to others. We all have unique gifts, talents, wants, and desires. This podcast is a joyful reminder to never stop becoming the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Your Best with Jenny Lytle RN podcast. And today I have a special guest with me, Cheryl and Jeanette. And Cheryl is an author with a new book called The Imposter Lies Within, Silencing Your Inner Critic, Tame Your Fear, Unleash Your Badassery. Cheryl is an international speaker, thought leader, and trainer on the topics of imposter syndrome, burnout, and peak performance. As a natural extension of her 30-year career as an entrepreneur and marketing and communications executive and her wellness practice with advanced certifications in integrative hypnotherapy, neuro-linguistic programming, cognitive behavioral neuroscience, clinical stress, anxiety and emotional regulation, strategy and human performance improvement, Cheryl has dedicated her business to helping individuals and organizations overcome the debilitating effects of imposter syndrome. You can find her live on Clubhouse in the Inside Out Club every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and engage with her throughout social media at Cheryl and Jeanette. Her company, Anjanette Wellness Inc., offers online learning, one-to-one programs, on-site training, and speaking for high-performing and high-profiles individuals, organizations, business leaders, and teams. Wow, that's a lot, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I know when we've, I'm very impressed with your grasp of neuro-linguistic programming and your, your attention to words and to details. And imposter syndrome, I think, is something that so many women struggle with. And so I would just, and I'm sure you're going to have something to say about my use of the word struggle. Just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. It's so interesting because I came to imposter syndrome through the doorway of manifestation. I was really helping people to manifest. And I would say we're always manifesting. So really to manifest by design, not default, because we're calling in whatever it is we're putting out. And I realized that people were struggling struggling there's that word again right but they in their words they were struggling it was like I feel like I'm doing all the right things I'm doing all the things they tell me to do I'm thinking positive thoughts and doing the affirmations but I keep calling in the opposite of what I want or more of the same or haphazardly getting what I want and I realized there was something going on like these cracks in the foundation these gaps right And then I came across imposter syndrome. And as I did the deep dive into it, I went, oh my goodness, that is me. That has been my experience since as long as I can remember, certainly high school up. And I realized that this is where the cracks in the foundation were. And so I thought, you know what? It's time to fix the foundation first before we build the house. So that was really, I'm not sure if that was really what you meant by telling tell you about me, but that was really the part of me that was really drawn to imposter syndrome. And just this idea that I kept hearing, everybody has imposter syndrome. You just have to live with it or you might get better, but it's always going to come back and get you. And I'm really stubborn. And I thought, no, I don't accept that. I don't believe that. 
I'm going to figure out how to get past imposter syndrome. So maybe for people who don't completely understand or maybe haven't heard of imposter syndrome before, what exactly is that? How would you describe that? Yeah, it's really an important question because there's a lot of confusion about it. So imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern where someone feels like they're not good enough in spite of their accomplishments. So notice I used the word pattern because it is pattern. We think of patterns and habits as our behaviors, right? Or our actions, but actually our beliefs become patterned, our thoughts become patterned, our self-talk becomes patterned. So it becomes patterned. And in spite of, because despite evidence to the contrary, we still feel like we're not good enough or worthy or deserving. We feel like others are going to figure out we're not as good as they thought we were. We feel like a fraud, like we've been putting on a mask. I would say putting on our confidence suit, going out to the world and showing up the way we think they want us to, or the way we think we need to get through whatever we're going through. And we feel like, oh, we're going to be unmasked. We're going to be exposed at any moment. So that's really what it is. And you know, what's important about this, it's like a cognitive dissonance. There's a disconnect between our actual accomplishments and how we feel about them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Is this something that most people experience or is there some sort of trigger that happens? Yeah, so it's very common, more common than you would believe. Before the pandemic, there were some really good studies that showed that about 70% of people, men and women, by the way, experience imposter syndrome. And since the COVID-19 pandemic, that number has only gone up. It's somewhere around 85%. But that's not everyone. So what really happens, Jenny, is that it's almost like the pendulum swings. When we have this experience of not good enough and putting on the mask, we'll feel like everybody else is very confident and we're the only ones. We feel really alone in the experience. Right. And then also we learn that it's really common. 85% of people are experiencing this. And so that pendulum sort of swings to the other side. And in our minds, we're saying, oh, everyone has it. Everyone has it. So me too. So it's me too. It's not, it must not be so bad. Maybe I should normalize this. Maybe it's just normal. And this is my normal. And so first What's really important about that is not everyone has it because if it's 85%, that means 15% of people do not experience imposter syndrome, right? Do you want to be part of the 85% or the 15%? I'd rather be part of the 15%. Right. So first of all, not everyone experiences it. The second part of that is normalizing something actually creates a new step point, right? If we think we have a terminal illness or we have a chronic illness right we're going to normalize that we're going to say this is something i live with i'm going to adjust my expectations i'm going to adjust my body temperature basically as a metaphor i'm going to mm-hmm. adjust to this i'm going to create a new set point mm-hmm. kind of and settle into that and accept it and maybe not expect as much of ourselves right we lower our expectations mm-hmm. and right now So adjusting expectations is important. Sometimes we have to adjust up and sometimes we have to adjust down. But the normalization of this 
puts it in our mind that we need to accept it. And what it does is it closes the door to the possibility of getting past it. Mm-hmm. And I always say, if you open the door, the possibility will lead you down a road to probability. And probability leads you to what? Inevitability, right? Just keep going down that path. So I'm really stubborn. I got really stubborn. I said, no, I reject that. This is not normal. It does not feel right that I should be experiencing this kind of anxiety or that this rumination that I'm losing sleep, that I find myself worrying about what someone else said or thought or did. Or every time I have an opportunity, I think maybe I shouldn't, maybe someone else is better than I am, or I'm just going to mess up or all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The stuff we think. And so I thought, this is not good. This is not the world. This is my life. This is not the world I want to live with in. And so I just started to break it down. I started to look at it very holistically because I practice everything holistically, inside out, outside in, whole person, whole life. That's just been my philosophy for probably since my 30s, I would say. I, I don't know that I was really there in my 20s, but, and so I, I just started to really look at this and I looked at other people's work, which people are doing phenomenal work in this area. I respect everyone that I've listened to and read, but I didn't see anybody giving it what I had in my mind, what was coming up for me. I didn't see that whole solution. And part of that is probably because I'm an integrative hypnotherapist, because I do that deep dive. I do inner child work with people. I go back. And so I started to go inside and I started to say, you just asked me, what are the triggers? Where does this come from? And I said, there's an origin. There's a root for feelings of not good enough. There are roots or origin points for the belief of I'm not worthy or I don't deserve something or my voice doesn't matter or I don't know. And so I thought, what is the root? What's the root of that? And I developed this holistic approach inside out and outside in. So it probably makes sense, right? That finding what the origin is, pulling out that root plant, tilling the soil, planting some new seeds, nourishing it so the roots take hold, right? That kind of makes sense, right? Absolutely. But outside in is equally important. And that's because, remember when I talked about patterns, when we talked about what is imposter syndrome and it's in psychological pattern? I know that most of your listeners are in the medical field. So some of them may be, they may understand the neuroscience behind this, but basically we have neurons that connect, they send messages to one another and they connect in in what they call neurological pathways, right? So neural pathways actually is the abbreviated version of that neural pathway. So when we do something over and over or it's familiar, our neurons will continue to connect and our brain will say, okay, that's going often enough, that's a pattern, that's a pathway And we can start to put that on autopilot. We can start to make, that becomes the path of least resistance. And we do this with billions of neurons throughout our life in so many ways. And most of it's unconscious. And that's the point because we don't want to do everything consciously. We don't need to think of everything consciously. We would be on overload if we did. What happens is when we are finding the roots of these beliefs and these thoughts and this self-talk, 
chatter, that internal dialogue, we're trying to root that out. We also need to repattern the mind because we've gotten into these patterns of talking to ourselves like a bully. I never thought I was a bully until I heard the way I speak to myself. Who is that bully in the brain? Who is that? <laughs> what is that friggin' voice? So we have to actually repattern that. It's not enough to pull out the root. We have to catch that and mm -hmm. change that pattern. We have to find the thoughts that ruminate, that are unproductive. And we need to catch them and just release them, basically. Say, you're not productive. If you don't get productive, you don't get to stay. Goodbye. You're going to have to leave now. Thank you, but sorry. My headspace is just for creative thought or anything that's productive. And so we need to repattern that. We need to learn how to do that. And that's what you work with clients to do. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what my book is all about. The imposter lies within. It's a journey past self-sabotage. Sorry, well, I don't actually have a voyage past self-sabotage. So self-sabotage is a big part of imposter syndrome, but the book itself is a journey past imposter syndrome. And so it goes through four distinct phases. And it really is, we need to go through this in this order. We need the awareness first, because we don't know what we don't know, even when we think we do, right? So we get that awareness, then we go into insight. Okay, that I'm aware of this thing called imposter syndrome and how it's showing up and how it could be showing up. But what's my unique experience with this? What's my unique experience? And so we need that insight. We need to know ourselves. And then we go into alignment, because remember, I talked about how Imposter syndrome is a disconnect. The disconnect between our actual experiences and how we feel about them. So now we go into alignment, then we go into integration. So we're fully integrating. And so it takes you through that journey. And in that, I really go through why this holistic approach is so important. Just what we talked about, the inside out and the outside in. By the way, I want to go back, if I can, Jenny, to what you something you mentioned in the very beginning when you were introducing me. Sure. You talked about struggle and you said, oh, because we've talked before and <laughs> you said, oh, you're going to probably catch me on that one. And so I wanted to explain that. So I'm a big believer and you'll get the deep dive in the book about the subconscious mind, but our subconscious mind is 90% of our consciousness. The conscious part of our brain that we're talking to each other right now, we're listening, we're filtering through those thoughts and these ideas and our own life experience as I'm speaking, that's about 10% of our consciousness. Our brain waves are more active. We're thinking things through. And I always say it's almost, if you looked at a building and you think, well, that's a one-story building and you walked in, you said, interesting, it's only one story, but there's an elevator. So you out of curiosity, press the button, you go in, you realize that there are nine floors below you. Oh, there's nine floors. And so you start to press those buttons and you go down and you start to go down into the layers of your subconscious mind. And imagine you were to get out on any one of those floors and you just saw a bank of file cabinets, like going into the National Archives or something, or going mm -hmm. into a library, you're just file cabinets everywhere. And you pull out any file cabinet and you can pull out any bit of useful or useless information you've had throughout your entire life you're driving down the freeway and you're five years old and you look up at a sign a road sign 
that's in a file somewhere, right? Whatever that's. And so there you are, you're going down and you have all of this information, this useful, useless information, every emotion you've had. So our subconscious mind is the seat of our emotions. It's the seat of every experience we've ever had. And our subconscious mind is there to protect us. Now, it wants to keep us safe, but it's also our best friend. And it wants to give us whatever we want. The thing, and this is, I'm going to get back to the word struggle. The thing about the subconscious mind that's really important to know is that one, it's literal. Whatever you tell it, it believes you. You say, I can, it believes you. You say, I can't, it believes you. That's it. If you tell it something, it's not going to say, uh, 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 Jenny, I don't believe that. Maybe you should think about it this way. If you say it and you feel it, because remember the subconscious mind isn't just listening to our words. It's listening to our thoughts. It's listening to our self-talk. It's listening to very loudly our emotion because that's energy emotion. So that's very loud. So if we're saying, I'm really excited about this and we're feeling dread, it's going to hear dread. It hears it almost like a voice right? Okay. We're incongruent. We're getting mixed messages. So it's literal. It's non-critical. It's not going to tell you no or yes, or I agree or I disagree. It's non-judgmental. It's going to accept whatever you say. So it's not when somebody is struggling or suffering from something that they're not really having that experience. They're not really feeling like they're struggling. It's hard. Maybe they really are suffering. Maybe there's something they're really suffering from. So this is not to diminish anyone's experience. Because everyone's experience and every emotion is valid and important. It's just to say that if you're interested in changing your experience, if you truly want to change your reality. If you truly want to get to that other side, you're not just saying it because sometimes we say it, but we're really holding on because we can get some other things from being down in the dumps, just secondary gains, mm-hmm. validation and people feeling sorry for us and mm-hmm. what was me kind of stuff. But if you were really interested in changing that dynamic, then changing your words is a really powerful strategy. It's not a silver bullet. It's not the only thing, but it helps. So doesn't it feel easier to change an experience than it does to change something you're struggling with? Absolutely. Yeah. Or suffering from. Mm -hmm. That's why words really matter. Mm -hmm. A lot of other little things with the subconscious mind where words are really powerful. It's like saying, I can't do that. I can't do that yet. Or I haven't done that yet. Just changing a few words. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that yet. Doesn't mean I can't do it. I just, I've never done it. Mm -hmm. I've never built a rocket ship. Now, I probably never will, and I probably never want to, but I'm not going to say I can't, or if I can or I can't. I just haven't done that yet. Never will. So we change our words, right? Because our subconscious mind is really powerful. So that's really important. So there's a lot of the strategies, mind shifts, thought shifts, understanding unproductive or unhelpful thinking patterns and how to make those shifts in our thoughts those shifts in our self-talk. But most important, and these are all important, most importantly, I talk about something called the mind stack. The mind stack, and there's a whole chapter on this, but this is just a term I've coined. 
and my way of looking at the mind is quite complex, right? But when I look at experiences like, or feelings, like I'm not, I can look on, on the outside and I can consciously know, I can write my brag list or I call it my badass list. I have this degree. I have this certification. I've stood up and done this thing. And I know in that 10% that I'm highly accomplished. I've got it, right? But I still feel like that disconnect. Why do I always feel like I'm not good enough? Why do I always feel like I'm going to be found out? Why do I always feel like nobody's going to care what I have to say? So I know that, but I still feel there's that disconnect. So to really get to that, we have to get into our beliefs. So I talk about the mind stack going down from habits to behaviors. It goes down into our self-talk, that dialogue between our ears, down into our thoughts, below our thoughts, our beliefs, because mm -hmm. our beliefs inform our thoughts, all of our thoughts, but the thoughts that take up resonance or keep returning or start to loop, and our self-talk. So when we look at our beliefs, I said, is that all? Because I'm always just looking, is there something I'm missing? Uncover and discover, be like Sherlock Holmes, right? Curiosity wins the game. And so I said, okay, what's below beliefs? Is there something there? And I thought, what's well, creating those beliefs? Something created that belief. And a lot of people will say, your beliefs are what everybody else told you. Because it's true when we're little, we're a little one, we're like this emotional spongy ball that just takes everything, takes the world in, right? We're curious, we're touching things, we're feeling things, we hear things, we don't, we're not consciously saying, no, I, do, I believe that or I don't believe it. We just take in our world and that becomes our belief system. And a lot of people will say, your beliefs aren't even really your beliefs, they're just taken in from other people. And I think there's a distinction there because we do all come in with our own distinct person. We just have our little personalities. We know this looking at children. Some people are, some children are shy and quiet and others are going to be jump right into the circle. And some are highly sensitive and some are just, we have our genders and so our brains are a little bit different. So we have these different things that are our differences in the mm -hmm. way we interpret things. And so, yes, we'll hear something. Yes, we'll have an experience, but it's not so much the, experience it's our interpretation of the experience the meaning we gave it at that age and at that stage that creates our belief system we have an experience and let's say you and i are twins and we're both three-year-old twins and mommy comes into the room and she says I forgot to go shopping i don't have a lot of food we're just gonna have to have a little and i go oh, I'm hungry, but okay, a little bit. Mommy, when are you going to go shopping? And you say, oh, there's never enough. There's never enough. There's not enough food. There's not enough food. And you start to believe that things are scarce. And I'm just thinking, oh, when are you going to go shopping? I'm hungry. Same mm -hmm. experience, right? So we can attribute this to, we all know we've seen two people in this, have the same experience and come out with completely different meanings or even subtle, but important different meanings, right? Mm, absolutely. Subtle shifts in the way they interpret something. So that becomes our belief. So I say that if you want to get past imposter syndrome, we need to understand what happened early in life. What happened to that child, the wounded inner child? Something happened. I had an experience and I, my thought was, oh, I'm not good enough. Or so somebody told me I wasn't good enough. Or I believed somebody told me I wasn't good enough. 
And then my mind is wired to make myself right. So I look for evidence. Something else happens and I think, oh, there it is again. I'm not good enough. And it layers on it, layers on it. It becomes weighty, right? Mm-hmm. Just take up weight mm-hmm. in our mind. And so maybe something happens and I think, oh, I am good enough. But let's say it's it doesn't have that big emotion to support it. And it's not as weighty. My subconscious is going to still flip back to whatever has the greatest weight, whatever is most layered in, whatever is most familiar in that belief, that thought, that self-talk, right? And the other piece of our mind is that we're kind of programmed, wired towards the negative. Right. That primal keep you safe, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So if it's negative, I'm going to have be on alert. I better be careful. I must not be good enough. I must, must not be worthy. I better be in protective mode here. So this is what happens in that, that mind. Cheryl, this is just so, it's so fascinating. I'm familiar with the concept of imposter syndrome. And like you said, just because it's common doesn't mean that it should be accepted. And I was accepting it because I heard even Oprah and Maya Angelou have issues with imposter syndrome. And if they do with all of their accomplishments, then well, of course I should. So I just, I think this is so interesting. And is it something that is an ongoing process or when you dig in and get to the root of this and you use your outside in and inside out, then it's, are you cured or how does that work? Yeah, I think this is a really important question because this is the part that can bounce people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be past imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. So let me tell you first what it does, because a lot of people think when I'm past imposter syndrome, that must mean that I don't have doubt or fear. Or I stop completely comparing myself to anyone else. No comparison, no fear, no doubt. That I stop wanting to do things well, like that perfectionist or the people pleaser. I just stop saying yes. I just take care of myself, only myself. The truth is that those are all human emotions. Fear is wired into us. It's meant to protect us. It's our great protector. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be without fear. Fear keeps us safe. Can you imagine we'd run into the lion's den or jump off the cliff? Stupid stuff, right? So we need fear. So when we're past imposter syndrome, we still have fear. It's just in what I call the healthy zone. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other concept I developed. It's called the healthy zone. So it's an adaptive zone. We want fear to be adaptive. Something comes up, is it a threat? We want to know that if it really is a threat, that we have what we need adrenaline and some of the neurotransmitters that our body gives us to be able to have the resources to take care of that threat, but then it should be a closed loop. Okay. I see I'm, it's not really a threat and I can calm down and everything is fine. And that that's adapted. That's the way we adapt as human beings. Do we want a world where there is no, you even see that right in some branding and marketing, no doubt. And I think, yeah, but then wouldn't you believe every real imposter. If you had no doubt, doubt is our discernment muscle. We need doubt. We need doubt in an adaptive way, in the healthy zone. I want you to think of a big circle like this, right? And think of a pendulum swinging over that circle, almost just rocking. So there's a circle where dynamic things happen. There are changes all the time and we're just adapting. And sometimes something bigger happens and it swings a little outside. 
but we do what we need to and we get it back into that adaptive zone. That doesn't feel so good. What do I need to do? I'm going to deep breathe. I'm going to get my state back aligned. I'm going to really look at this, figure out what's true, what's not true. And I get myself back into this adaptive zone, right? Mm-hmm. So that's called the healthy zone. So in the healthy zone comparison, we need comparison. I think it's so interesting when people say, stop comparing. It's either we're always this or we're never that. Comparison can be a really important tool, a great friend, right? How do we know who we are when we don't know who we are? If I walk into a room, I want to know where I stand. Are there people here that are better than I am? Great. I can learn from them. That's driving me. That's motivating me. What do they know that I don't know? Maybe there are people that haven't been doing things as long as I have, but they're doing them differently. Oh, that's cool. That's creative. I wonder what they're doing or how they're thinking. We can use comparison in a very positive way. What we end up doing when we're in this maladaptive zone and the pendulum's really swinging out is we're comparing up or down. We're mm-hmm. either everybody's so much better than I am. Who am I? I? I should just shrink away. Or we're comparing down and we're looking for people that aren't as good as we are so we can feel better about ourselves. So we get into this maladapted zone and that's really what the imposter syndrome is. It's maladapted behavior. So you ask me, okay, what does that look like? So when you are past imposter syndrome, you've done the inside work. You figured out what those early beliefs are. We reset them at the root. We work with that child. There's some inner child work that needs to happen right? Not just so you as the adult know, understands, but that three-year-old, that five-year-old, that 12-year-old understands, is able to change their story, their narrative, right? They're able to see that they're safe, they're okay. They don't need to live in that anymore. And we've done the outside work. We're repatterning and we've chosen new thoughts and new beliefs and new self-talk. And we've done the swaps and I go through all of this, but in my work, especially in my voyage past self-sabotage, it's been amazing. Like we have a hundred percent of our participants, 100%. No man or no woman left behind have made major breakthroughs. That's wonderful. Yeah, so we do that inside work. So on the other side, we breathe patterns. So something happens, right? And I adjust. A -hmm. thought comes in and I think, ooh, I wonder what they're thinking. And I think, I don't really know what they're thinking, do I? So am I going to sit and ruminate about what they're thinking? Or am I going to either ask them so I actually know? Or I could, too, I could assume that they're thinking something good. Or three, I could assume that they're not really thinking about me at all. I I get to choose my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I could make a better choice in that thought at that moment. I could do that. Is it really up to me? And so getting past imposter syndrome means that when those things come up, I have the inner knowing that I am good enough. Mm -hmm. I am worthy. I am deserving. That my voice does matter that. There are a lot of people out there that need my voice. Not everyone. I don't need everyone to like me. I used to think I did anyway. And I have the outer skills to kick myself back in and change that thought. I have the strategy. And I've practiced them enough. They come pretty easily to me now because I've practiced them. And occasionally in life, something big happens. Almost traumatic. Like small T, big T, but we're thrown into something like this global uncertainty that we've had with the pandemic, with a war, 
or, but you know what? That's happened since the beginning of, these things have happened since the beginning of time. Or we have a loss, right? It could be a loss of a job. We have a loss of a relationship. It could be human loss of life, right? Somebody that's close to us or somebody we really admired or cared about or thought mm -hmm. highly of. There's grief attached to loss. And so sometimes we are going to sit, it's going to take us a little bit longer to get back into that healthy zone. But that just means that the healthy zone stretches for you. When we have grief or loss, that healthy zone actually gets bigger for us to envelop us because actually in our grief, in our loss, we are still, we can be still in an adaptive place. There is an adaptive, natural grieving process that we need to go through. And so that in my mind, and I choose to see it that way, we give that more space, we give that more grace, we give that each person their own space to process as they will. Absolutely. Everyone's going to go through that differently. So we all experience grief in our We all do. It's part of the human experience, part of the human experience. And some, especially healthcare workers, have experienced this so much more, having gone through this pandemic. So it's really hit them more. And we have to know that, you know, when you lose a patient, that it's maybe that's not someone you know or haven't known well or that is a grief. That is a lot. And that healthy zone needs to expand for you. It just doesn't have to throw you into this. Because it's with healthcare workers, even in the best of times, we experience cumulative grief. When there's yes. so many, it's one death or one one illness just over and over and it all adds up, then absolutely it can definitely have that cumulative effect and that grief. And it's, it's definitely something that weighs on us. And even in the healthiest situations, we need to, we need those reminders to take time to care for ourselves and sit with, uh, sit with what we're feeling and not try to just brush it to the side and move on to the next thing. And that's sometimes things are so busy that ends up happening and that burnout, not being right? such a good thing. Yeah. It's, we can get burnt out by the emotional piece of it. Not just the, my bit, my workload is so busy. I don't have enough time, but that coupled with that emotional, the emotional dynamics of ruminating thoughts, worry, anxiety, all of it. So that's a really important thing. And the other thing many healthcare workers is there's a personality trait that draws somebody to that field of empathy, of care, of really connection to other human beings. And so I think that those that have that empathy, that care, feel these things even more. That's why we're not all the same. It doesn't make somebody else a bad person. We just need to all know ourselves so that we can give ourselves the grace and space and know the best way to care for ourselves because you can't really care for anyone else when you're not. It's that metaphor of you can't pour from an empty cup is very real. And that's one of the things that I really focus on because I believe that 
we all care to some degree, but there are those of us who are more helpers, more just naturally giving and self-sacrificing. And that can become a vicious cycle. And then we end up not being able to care for anyone else because we're not caring for ourselves. And then there's the guilt that comes up with all of that. And so I just, I love working with women and caregivers to, to help them personalize the self-care plan for themselves. Because just like you're saying, it needs to be, you have to look at it from your individual needs and the way that we're made up. Because what I love to do for self-care, what's relaxing and renewing to me may be very different for you. That may be something that you don't, that kind of stresses you out. But I joke that I like beach days and spa days and things like that. But those, we can't do those all the time. And just like some people may love baking and that's their idea of something relaxing. That's not so much mine. Or maybe you like riding a four wheeler in the mud and that's your thing. Not but mine, it's, you know, but it's yeah. just mine neither, but just, just figuring out what is it that, that we like to do and not worrying about the right things or what maybe somebody else has put right. on us, but what is it that makes me feel good and moving forward from there. But definitely we have to take care of ourselves, especially if we're going to be trying to take care of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I just look at this as we know ourselves, if we have the awareness, the insight, then we can get realigned and we can have our, we can use strategies out there, but we can make them work for us. And then what happens is, you know, when your past self that's when your past keep saying self-sabotage. And so in the self-sabotage world right now, but in your past imposter syndrome, you are connected. Yes, life happens. Yes, loss happens. Yes, occasionally we're feeling like, oh, am I a little overwhelmed? There's just too much on my plate. I need to figure this out. But we don't have those feelings of I'm not good enough. We stop having those feelings of I'm not worthy. We go out there and we feel like, yeah, I'm actually worthy. I'm actually really good at what I do. I'm not trying to be. It's not a lot of people think that confidence is arrogant, but you feel that confidence. It's not arrogant. You can still be humble. It's just, you're connected. You're good enough. You're worthy. You're t- really, everyone is. It's just about remembering and understanding that there were some false narratives and things that were never your fault if you were in through difficult childhood. Some people didn't, and it was just their interpretation. Some people a little bit of both, but that you are worthy. You are deserving. You are good enough. And so what I do is I help remind people of that. I even bring them back before any of the trauma or the drama or the self-criticism or the misinterpretation. And help them remember who they really are. That all these experiences, it's almost a coal does not become diamond without a lot of pressure. So that pressure was something maybe that was, so you could be more, you could be that brilliant diamond. That's so beautiful. I love your stories. You paint these vivid pictures. And I think it's something that's going to bring so much hope to so many of us who are listening to this and know that it's something that we have experienced, but, but maybe have felt like there wasn't anything that really could be done about that. And so I thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And so tell us again, the title of your book. So the book is called The Imposter Lies Within. Silence your inner critic, tame your fear, unleash your badassery. (laughs) 
And it's available on Amazon. There's a hardback, paperback, Kindle, and there will be an Audible coming out soon. Although even for those who like to listen to their books, I do encourage people to get even just the paperback because it's almost like a, it doubles as a workbook. There are more than 20 exercises and there's an exercise glossary. And when you do these exercises, they actually work. It's also available Barnes and Noble online. There are a few other places. So you can, it's not hard to find. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you're not sure, you can always go to my website. Okay. And I will make sure to put all of the links in the show notes as well. And so where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, it's so easy. You know how to spell my name, which is Cheryl with an S, like Cheryl Sandberg, by the way, who also experiences imposter syndrome, another accomplished woman, but Cheryl and Jeanette, Cheryl with an S, S H E R Y L, and Jeanette, A N J A N E T T E. So my website is there, CherylAnjanette.com. My social media handles, Instagram, LinkedIn, primarily. You can see me on Facebook, but I'm more Instagram or LinkedIn, but you can find me at Cheryl Anjanette. Great. And you have a quiz, right? At Cheryl and Jeanette. Oh, I do. Yeah. People love the quiz. Yeah. I didn't hear you. Yes. My parent and my dog feels you should hear Take the quiz as well. (laughs) You can hear that he's barking, but yes, the quiz is the imposter syndrome quiz and you'll get the score. So you can get that quiz on my Instagram link in bio. You can get it on my website, but you'll get some strategies right away to be able to deal with imposter syndrome. Yes, that's a very helpful, insightful quiz. And that's there at CherylAnjanette.com slash quiz on your site. So that's wonderful. Cheryl, I just, I thank you so much for being here. And I do have two quick questions for you to, to finish out. It's questions that I that I ask everyone. And my tagline is never stop becoming the best version of you. And so what does becoming the best version of you mean to you? Oh, that's such a good question. For me, it means showing up authentically and believing in myself in every moment, connecting really with the people around me, genuinely connecting, hearing them, being with them, being open, open to growing, open to new ideas. So I think staying curious and just always tapping into my creativity. Wonderful. Those are beautiful things. And last but not least, what is your favorite self-care practice? Massages. Ah. (laughs) That was easy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love a good massage myself. I had one on Friday and it was wonderful. Thank you so much. It has been absolutely amazing to have you here and you are, you are doing wonderful things. So thank you. And yeah, if there's, if there's anything that, that I can do for you, you be sure to let me know. I'm sure that you are going to be very helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny. Stressed out, but not sure how to change it. Decrease your stress in a week or less, even if you don't have much time or energy. Grab my brand new free seven days to less stress guide at jennylidle.com slash guide and uncover the secret to less stress without a lot of effort. You'll get the simple three-step framework for quick and easy transformation. You'll also discover how to have the biggest impact the fastest, develop a customized plan to use even on your toughest days, 
and pull it all together in a simple weekly plan. That's at JennyLidle.com slash guide. Until next time, take a deep breath or two and never stop becoming the best version of you. Disclaimer. Although I am a registered nurse, the medical and health information contained in this podcast is provided for general information and educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional advice. Accordingly, before taking any actions based upon such information, I encourage you to consult with appropriate professionals. I do not provide any specific medical or health advice and the use of or reliance on any information contained in this podcast is solely at your own risk.